So Money Episode 663, estate planning attorney, Laura Cowan. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You know, it's never a perfect time to talk about things like life insurance and estate planning and wills. It's kind of a downer. But your financial life would not be so solid if you didn't take care of these issues. And I think it's important that we talk about them on this podcast. To help us, I brought on estate planning attorney, Laura Cowan. You know, she just wrote a free ebook that you can all download. It's called Wear Clean Underwear. The subtitle is A Fast, Friendly, and Essential Guide to Estate Planning for Busy Parents. And you can download it by going to momdadfreebook.com. Laura practiced law for many years at a big legal firm before opening up her own practice in New York City. She drafts wills, trusts, and other documents to make sure families are taken care of. And she has seen it all, experienced it all. We go right to the topic and find out why we need wills. How do we get one? What about life insurance? Do you really need it? Not to mention Laura's own personal financial experiences. Here is Laura Cowan. Laura Cowan, welcome to So Money. Great to have you on the show. We're going to learn a lot from you. Yes, thank you for having me. You're an estate planning attorney based in New York City. Tell me what you're learning from families these days. How are they coming to you? Are they prepared? Do they do they often uh, even know what they need when it comes to estate planning? How do you help them? Yeah, so I think, you know, everyone needs an estate plan, whether you're married, whether you have kids, but it really is um, uh, uh, mostly people who come in who um, they're young families, they have one or two kids, and they know that they, they need an estate plan. Um, they have some sense for that they need legal documents in place now that they're a parent, but they don't really know what. Um, one of the big things um, that I hear is that parents want to name long-term guardians for their children. That's number one on their mind. Um, estate planning is about, um, you know, where where is your money going to go when you pass away? But there's also a component of naming guardians for your children, making decisions about your health care, should you become incapacitated. So there's a lot more that goes into it other than just deciding who gets your Rolex when you pass away. So young families really need, um, young families really need an estate plan. I I tell people almost as much, if not more than elderly people. And the reason for that is because young families have minor children at home and there's no more important job than raising your kids. And God forbid, if you weren't around to be able to do it yourself, you want to make sure that you've named the long-term guardians that you would want, because if you haven't named guardians in a will and something does happen, a judge will end up choosing guardians for you. So nobody wants. You never want to be in a situation where there's where you're in probate, right? Because that's like. Yeah. And probate is something a little bit different. Probate is um, is is the process that your assets go through the court process when you pass away. Um, whether you have a will or you don't have a will, your assets will go through probate, uh, which is kind of a misconception. A lot of people think, oh, if I have a will, that means I'll bypass. Yeah, there you go. I just misconcepted that. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I totally understand why people would think this. Um, yeah, so if you pass away without a will, you definitely will go through probate. And then if you have a will, your assets will also go through probate. 
The only way to avoid probate is by setting up something called a revocable living trust. A lot of people mm-hmm. are setting these up today because probate is uh, is very expensive, is time consuming, and it's also public. So, um, but I would say the the one thing I would want any parent on this show listening to to um, to know is if you have minor children at home, at a minimum, you have to have a will because this is the document where you name the guardians that you would want for your minor children. And so let's get specific about the how-to. So how should, how do you advise your clients to identify the guardians? Um, and then also, how do you identify the, the I guess it's the, uh, the executor of the estate, yeah, right? Yeah, the executor of the will, exactly. So yeah, so I definitely have a lot of tips about um, about naming guardians because it is it's, it's a big decision and uh, it's hard to think about. It's not fun to think about. Um, some of the suggestions that I give parents are to think about if you're naming a couple as a guardian, you want to make sure you've thought about what would happen in the event of divorce or if one of the people in the couple predeceases you. So, for example, if you've named your sister Amy and her husband Joe, you want to make sure you've also made clear what would happen if Amy predeceased you? Would you want Joe being your children's guardian without your sister? Or what would happen if there was a divorce? Would you want Amy serving on her own without the help of a husband? So a lot of people name uh, couples as guardians, and that's completely fine. But you just want to make sure you've thought about well, what would happen if they were divorced or if one of them had died before you. Um, mm. Something else to think about is um, you want to name people as long-term guardians who not necessarily the people you know who have the most money. Um, it's really up to you as a parent to make sure that you're leaving behind um, resources to help with the upbringing of your children, something like life insurance. Or you want to pick your guardians based on the care that they would provide and how that would match your values as closely as possible. Not necessarily the person in your family who just happens to have the highest income. Um, okay. So yeah, that's a, that's something as well. And that's something I also like to, to tell people, which not many people realize this, but in addition to being able to name the guardians that you would want, you can also confidentially exclude people who you think might step forward and petition the court for guardianship of your kids that you know you would never in a million years want uh, raising your kids because maybe you know they have a substance abuse problem or they just have values that are very different from yours. So I would say about half of my clients do what's called this confidential exclusion, which is naming someone that they would never want raising their children. And it doesn't see the light of day ever. No one ever knows about it unless something happens, that person petitions the court for guardianship. And then that's when the court would pull this out and say, you know, actually, you know, you've been excluded. So not everyone has a family member that they're thinking that they would want to exclude, but many people are thinking, you know, actually, you know, I can see my sister petitioning the court and she actually, you know, lives a lifestyle that's very different from mine and I would never want her being um, a guardian. So that's, that's an option as well. And then I understand when we, my husband and I were uh, executing our will and our state plan, our lawyer advised us to have the executor be someone who wouldn't be so emotionally fraught, you know, that they could, that, and then, you know, so then they wouldn't take things too personally, that they could almost be, um, an objective third party. And I think we selected like our financial advisor, (laughs) you know, actually a great idea The being an executor of a will when someone passes away is actually a really big job. There's a lot of work involved, um, you know, just dealing with account statements and wrapping everything up there. There are, there's a lot that goes on with that. And you're absolutely right. You want to pick someone who you think 
can handle the job and, you know, be not as emotionally attached to it. You don't have to name someone in your family or someone who you're really close to. You can do exactly what you did, which is just name someone who you know would would be able to um, to perform the duties of being a, being an executor because it's a pretty big role. Let's take a step back, Laura, and and if you could tell us who should have a will. I mean, people listening to the show, they're thinking, well, I don't have a family. I don't have dependents. So do I really need a will? Yeah, that's, that's also a very big misconception. And the answer is everybody should have a will. And the reason for that is if you pass away without a will, you're passing away intestate. It's called intestate. And it means um, you haven't, you know, you haven't made a will, which means the court will end up deciding according to state law, what happens to all of your your money. So, for example, you know, here's here's a great example. Heath Ledger passed away without a will, right? And when you're when you're not married in the state of New York and you have children, if you pass away without a will, by law, all of your assets go to your parents. Um, so, but he had a daughter, of course. So, because he didn't have a will and he hadn't named his daughter as his heir, all of his money went to his parents instead of his daughter, which is not what he would have wanted. Um, so the, the, you, you don't want state law deciding where all of your stuff goes. Um, if you pass away without a will, like I said earlier, if you don't have a guardian's name for your kids, the court is going to end up deciding. So, uh, there are just, there are a lot of things that can go wrong. It's going to be more expensive to, to, um, probate your estate. If you don't have a will, it's going to be really time consuming and it's just going to be a really big burden on your family. Another misconception is that, well, I don't have a lot of money, so I don't need an estate plan. And I I, I tell people, you actually probably need a plan more when you don't have a lot of money. And this is the reason why. The reason why is because estate planning is really it's about making decisions about your health and your family and your assets while you still can. And if you don't make decisions about those things while you still can and something goes wrong, it's going to be expensive because you're going to have to have a court make decisions for you. And if you don't have a lot of assets, it's, you, you can't handle, you know, uh, this unexpected expense of having, um, having to go to court to have, you know, a court name a guardian or have a court name a healthcare agent to make decisions for you if you're incapacitated. So ironically, um, it, it's, it's oftentimes people who don't have a lot of assets who want to have an estate plan in place because then if and when something does go wrong, um, you've made you've made decisions about what you would want to happen. It doesn't matter, you know, if something goes wrong for Bill Gates, you know, he's got the money to handle any kind of a court issue or anything. But you know, if you have modest um, a, a modest income and not a lot of assets, and something goes wrong, um, it, it's it hits a lot harder. Right. That's a good point. That's a, a different way of looking at things. You're right. I mean, we all have, you know, even just like our digital assets, right? There's like, there there should at least be like a protocol that you're keeping somewhere that give, gives, you know, if something, God forbid, happens to you that someone could reference to figure out what you want to happen to like your online assets, right? We have so many things online, our, our data, our photos, our accounts, all of those things need to be reconciled, reconciled uh, in, in a tragic event. Right. And that's something that a lot of people don't realize if you leave a list of passwords to someone, you know, to access your accounts after you pass away, which most people frankly don't do. But even if you did, that doesn't give you the legal authority to access those accounts. So wills today have a provision that says 
my executor has the legal authority to go and access my bank account, my Facebook, all of my, you know, Instagram or whatever. Facebook now and you (laughs) will. It's all considered digital. It's with you until you die, literally. You know, so I don't know how much trouble someone would get in, you know, but the the point being, um, an estate plan really, it, it matters for everyone. If you're not married, what I tell people is, you want to make sure you have an estate plan because you'll be making decisions about incapacity. So if you're not married, you don't have a spouse who's going to step in should you become incapacitated. So you want to have a health care directive, a power of attorney, these documents where you name someone to make decisions for you about your health and your finances. There are services out there where you could create a simple will, a simple estate plan, or even maybe a complex one online. And then there's, of course, working with a professional. Obviously, we know what you prefer, but not everybody can afford an attorney. And some people are just self-starters. They, they love, they like the DIY route. What are some benefits and what are some things to keep in mind if you are going to go the, the digital way, the virtual way? Yeah. So I, I would not recommend um, doing a will yourself. In fact, I can, it's much, the, the bottom line is that it's actually much more complicated than people realize, even if you have what people consider to be a simple estate. A really good example I can give is um, Warren Berger, who used to be the, the chief justice of the United States Supreme Court, obviously a lawyer. He drafted his own will and he messed it up so badly that his heirs lost over $500,000 to unnecessary taxes. The point being, it gets pretty complicated pretty quickly. And I think that people are surprised at how complicated it can become. It's not just as simple as saying, well, these are my assets and this is where I want it to go to. So where, you know, where them to go, where where they should go. Um, So, you know, doing it online, um, it's just so easy to make either mistakes or omissions and omissions can be just as um, just as fatal. Um, I think the LegalZoom website itself actually has a statistic and it says that 80% of the people who fill out documents on LegalZoom do it incorrectly. And I actually got that from the LegalZoom site itself. So, you know, I completely understand that money is a concern that, you know, extra cash is hard to come by for all of us. The thing I would say about that is... um, if you you're probably going to end up spending more money in the long run because you're going to have to fix things that you didn't do properly i think it makes a lot more sense from a financial perspective to invest in a plan from the get-go that you know is going to um is going to cover everything there's not going to be any stones left uncovered because you're also paying when you work with a lawyer you're not just paying for the documents you're paying for the counsel so there's a lot of, uh, there's so many things that my clients, when they come in and meet with me that they have questions about, and they didn't realize the answer had actually a really, a really big impact. You know, for example, I recommend for many people putting their assets in a revocable living trust as opposed to doing a will. And the reason for that is if you put your ass, if you just have a basic will plan, your assets are going to go through probate, which is about 5% of, um, of the total estate. That's how much it costs. That's how much your heirs will be, will be paying lawyers to do. So if you have probatable assets of about a million dollars, you know, that would in real estate in New York is very expensive. So that's an easy number to get to. You're going to be losing $50,000 when your assets go through probate. That'll come out of your, out of your heirs' um, inheritance. So investing a few thousand dollars in an estate plan now to save $50,000 when you pass away actually makes a lot of sense. But you're not going to know that if you do an inexpensive will on LegalZoom. You know, so you're actually saving money a lot of the time by working with a lawyer because they're going to show you 
you know, this is how you can do your plan to to save on taxes, you know, to have everything flow to your heirs in a way that makes more sense. You'll actually save money in the long run. That's a good point. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about how you got to this industry. Yeah. <laughs> I know that you obviously are a lawyer. Would you have a background in finance as well? Or? I do. I'm a former CPA. I worked. Uh, so right. I started my career at Ernst & Young and worked as a controller at a hedge fund. And I was at Goldman Sachs for a while. So I worked for many years as a CPA. My, my license is currently inactive, but that is my background. And I went to law school a little bit later in life. And I thought that um, estate planning was a really good fit for me because it combines it helps if you know about the finance side, the money side of things. That's a really helpful background to have for estate planning. But estate planning is also very personal. You're talking about your family. You're talking about your children. So it's a really good combination to have that CPA background, but then also um, be able to work with people. You know, I really like working with clients that are families, and, and that's a really good um, combination for me. What's the biggest question you get from clients that you find that almost surprises you or or maybe at this point it doesn't because you get it so often, but that maybe uh, is not what we would what the, that the average person would expect to think that it, that is what people are asking you, but it comes up more often than not? Yeah. So very frequently I hear um, people say, you know, I have a very simple estate, uh, so it shouldn't be that complicated. And, um, you know, most people don't realize, and there's no reason why they would know this, so it's completely understandable, but um, a simple estate is not necessarily what people think. Um, you know, like I just gave the example of, of real estate, um, most people don't realize that they can plan, they can structure their plan in a way that actually saves them tens and tens of thousands of dollars or even hundreds of thousands of dollars, like I was just saying before, putting your assets into a revocable living trust. So. Um, it's, it's, it's a common misconception. I mean, I actually had someone say once they had a simple estate and they owned property in like Iceland or something. And I was like, that's not a simple estate. <laughs> so what I, what I really want is for people to um, just to have a very basic, minimal sort of education before they on estate planning, before they uh, start making decisions, because I, you know, I really want people to understand all of the different, the different pieces of it. I give um, free seminars at my office at least twice a month, and I'll be adding a webinar as well. And the purpose of those are just simply to educate people. So before they start making decisions about well, what kind of a plan makes sense for my family, they really understand all the different options. And usually once they understand all the different options, they'll pick something that's a little bit different than what they thought they might have needed, but they're glad to do it because they realize those are the benefits. So I think um, educating my community is really important to me because I want people to be able to make educated, empowered, informed decisions about what makes sense for their family. And of course, no one knows anything really about estate planning and why would they? You know, it's not an interesting topic and whatnot. So um, educating my community is a really big part of my practice. I think it's wonderful that one of your money philosophies is that while it's important to plan and save for the future, as someone who does this probably all the day, all the time for work, you're always looking ahead and trying to look at ways to be prepared for the unexpected, that you also have a philosophy of that it's important to live your life in the now. Did you arrive at this because of your work? You sort of felt that you were kind of 
forgetting that, you know, mm-hmm. life is happening right before you and that you should be a little bit more stopping and smelling the roses? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think that I think the answer is yes. This has sort of dawned on me more in the past few years. I think part of my prep because of my practice, but also partially because we're living in a day and age, I think, where people are doing less of the, you know, you work nine to five at the same company for 50 years, and then you kind of save up for retirement. And then all of a sudden you retire and you don't do anything, you know, but play golf. And I think we're lucky these days that we can, you know, it's the gig economy. So you can work from different places. You don't have to go into the office all day. You can, um, you can sort of um, expand your working life into, into the future. So my, my goal is to work a reasonable amount, you know, while I'm younger and before my retirement age, but then also maybe work a little bit in retirement too, because it's going to be really easy to do that in the future. And um, so it's sort of the opposite of, you know, putting everything off until you retire. And I think that money comes into that. I think you just, you have to remember that, um, you know, you're living your life now and it's important to be, to be smart about the future and to save and all of those things. Um, but I'm I'm um, I'm a big fan of, you know, living now and also living while you're in retirement, you know, and saving now, but maybe also working while you're in retirement, sort of blending it all together. Of course. I mean, being self-employed, that's the benefit, right? Yeah. You don't have to wait for someone to hand you a watch and your pension. You can just keep riding it out as long as you want. That's a really good point. It helps when you're self-employed. You have a lot more control over that when you're self-employed. But I think, like I said, with this gig economy, I think a lot of people are going to be moving you know, towards this kind of you know, being able to work different hours and being able to work from different places. It's really nice. It's not something that our parents had the option of doing. So I think that we're really lucky. And yet you had a really traditional uh, introduction to the value of money and making money. I understand you had a paper route growing up. Yes. And, you know, long live the paper route. I don't really know. Who else? I mean, does if anyone has if anyone knows anyone who has a paper route, let me know. I want to maybe start documenting this because I think it'd be really fun to do like, I don't know, some sort of Tumblr or like some kind of uh, some fun social media thing around like who still has a paper route. Of course, people have paper routes, but it's not the, it's not the, the the teenager living in the suburbs. I don't think, or maybe it is. Maybe I'm wrong. I but don't know. It's, I mean, I, paper circulation is down a lot. Yeah. So <laughs> it was a much bigger deal when I was growing up in Iowa. That's for sure. Yeah, that was actually my first job. And I, um, it, you know, my family didn't have a lot of money growing up. And so and I've always been a little bit you know, ambitious, even at, at a young age. Um, and so I did. My first job was a paper route. And I, I think I started that when I was, you know, 12 or 13. I was pretty young. What did you think that paper route was going to what did it mean to you back then? You know, what did you think it was going to add to your life other than obviously like money? But what was it, you know, about that that sparked your ambition? Yeah, well, it's one of the one of the few things you can do when you're younger, um, you know, to, to earn a little bit of money. And I think, unfortunately, it was my family circumstances um, that that I mean, that that kind of drove me to it. All that's not the right way of putting it, but you know, I grew up with a mom who was a single mom and I had two sisters. And so there just wasn't a lot of extra money in the house growing up. So, and I've always just had this idea that, you know, frankly, if you want something, you can have it. You just have to go work for it. And I wanted to take um, dance classes when I was growing up and just, it just wasn't in the budget with my family. So um, I got this paper route that, that let me do that. And you know, maybe that's not the ideal situation growing up, but it really, it, it, it taught me a couple of things. You know, one that, 
if you want something, you just have to go work for it. As, you know, anything really is possible if you're willing to work hard. Um, and that also the money that you that you earn yourself, it, it really teaches you the value of money. I think, you know, it's, it's so much different when you've earned that, you know, that $20 yourself than someone else just giving it to you. So that was my that was my introduction. But I've always I've always had a job um, because I, you know, I love working and I just think that it, it's very rewarding. I had a really inspiring experience this morning. My Lyft driver picked me up and it, you're reminded me of this experience because you said something about how you anything's possible. You cannot basically fund whatever you want to do, but you have to work for it. And this was a guy that picked me up and he has a full-time job in sales, drives Uber before the job starts and after it ends. He's got three kids, one's heading to college and Later, like it was a long ride. I was going from actually Brooklyn to the Upper West Side. It's like a 45 minute drive. And finally, he's like, my real passion is fashion. And I want to start a men's suit line. Now, this guy, like talk about second act, third act, right? He's and I think he's driving Uber to basically fund that passion project. And I'm like, go you. And he said, you know, my wife is, has been a medical, uh, has been a director of a medical clinic for like 15 years. And now she wants to go to law school. He described themselves as go getters. And I said, yeah, for sure. I mean, gosh, I, we actually, we ended up exchanging emails towards the end. Cause I was like, I like you. He's like, let's keep in touch. So, uh, speaking of, Second act, you you went to law school later in your career journey, and I think you're still working on those student loans. Yes, law I'm working loans. on my law school student loans, not my undergrad. Right. How did you make that decision ultimately? I mean, there. I sometimes am in the camp of don't go to law school because <laughs> yeah. some people I feel like make the wrong decision. They think that law school is going to answer so many of their questions and uncertainties about their careers and it ends up just being a load of money to pay off. Yeah. Law school is very expensive. And the advice that I would give to anyone thinking about going to law school is you, you shouldn't go to law school unless you actually want to practice law, which sounds sort of ridiculous, but that's what they teach you how to do in law school. They teach you how to practice law. And so if you're just going because you think, oh, it would be It'll be interesting and I'll learn a lot. Um, that's not really what happens in law school. They, they really teach you how to think a different way. And that's, it's hard to explain. You know, they teach you how to think like a lawyer. But if you're, you, know, you wouldn't go to medical school just because you thought it might be interesting. You go to medical school to learn how to practice medicine. And it's the same thing with law school. And it is, it's a very expensive endeavor. So I would, um, I, I would be, think very carefully about doing it because you're not going to come out having just like this general random skill set that's going to apply in a lot of different places, you're going to come out knowing how to draft, you know, documents for the courts and knowing how to read a case and, and because that's what they teach you. And so if that's not really what you want to be doing. I, I wouldn't recommend getting going to law school. What would you say was your financial failure, the worst financial move you made to date? You know, I probably didn't think enough about how I was going to fund my new law practice when I started this about a year and a half ago, I practiced for a few years at a, at a bigger law firm doing estate planning before I decided to open my own practice. And I, I didn't think it probably as hard as I should have about where uh, those funds were going to come from and the smartest way um, to fund my practice. So um, I, I wish that I had done that. I've got it more under control now. And I'm now working with a CPA, which I think is a really good move. Someone to make sure that my taxes are all done properly and, and all of that. 
but I, I, I don't know why I just didn't put as much effort into thinking about, you know, starting a business as I really should have um, from from the money side of it. A CPA? I know. It sounds crazy. You know, I think it's because I, I decided a little bit on a, on a whim. I think that's part of the reason why, which also sounds a little bit crazy. But I think I just got to the point in my life where, you know, I've worked for some really, really great companies for some really great people. And I, I don't know how other people feel, but I just got to the point where I was sort of tired of working for other people. And I thought, you know, I'm really smart. I'm really capable. And even more important, you know, I have a lot of gumption. And I think that's the most important part about starting a business is just being able to sort of take those risks. And I knew that I had that in spades. So I didn't, I, I started just a little bit on a whim. I thought, okay, you know, I'll try this for a year. I'll see how it goes. And then I'll reevaluate after a year. So that might be part of the reason why I didn't plan as much as I should have. But I, I wouldn't recommend it. I think a little bit more planning would have been a good idea. I get that. But at the same time, I have heard the advice of just start, yes. you know, because <laughs> you're not going to have all your ducks in a row. You're not going to know all the answers. But I think once you get over the hump of, you know, should I do it? Should I not do it? Just do it. Right. And you'll probably figure it out. Right. Build a plane as you're flying it. Yeah. Yeah. That that's that can happen, too. I, I agree. It's You can't wait for the time to be perfect, necessarily. You know, one of the reasons it was it was a bunch of different things for me. It was, you know, being re- being ready to be my own boss, which I'd always wanted to do. I'm thinking about starting a family soon. And I was a little bit concerned about um, having sort of the nine to five job and having to juggle those two things. And I actually read somewhere recently that a lot of women start their own companies, either when they're about to become a mom or when they have kids at home. And the reason is the flexibility. And it's a little bit counterintuitive because you think, well, if I'm hoping to have a baby, you know, not getting a paycheck every two weeks, every two weeks seems like a really bad idea. But I think um, in the long run, if you can pull it off, you're allowing yourself just so much more flexibility. And I was really worried about holding down a nine to five and also having kids. So it was the combination of a lot of different things for me that made me decide, decide to start my own practice. I give a lot of credit to moms who work a nine to five because while yes, I think having the the frequent paycheck, the you know the you know where you, when your money's coming in, that's always comforting. But you're playing by someone else's rules, and you're playing to someone else's schedule, and I think that can get really challenging. And you know, life's not perfect. Things come up, like your kids are sick, your kids miss school, like snow day, like that. And then what do you do? You, you know, I've had, I've seen it where my colleagues will bring their kids to work, which I actually think could be fun, yeah. but that's not something you can rely on. Unfortunately, we don't have a system in our country where, where, you know, kids can come to a workplace daycare. Some companies provide it, but we really need to support families a lot more in this country so people can continue to work for business. <laughs> yeah, I agree. You know, moms, my God, they, they, they have a huge load. You know, I, I agree with you. Working nine to five and being a mom is, you know. Moms and dads. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's all it's all hands on deck when you have kids. It's uh, it's it's great. It's, it's definitely, I think, being an entrepreneur, at least having your own, if you're a solopreneur, whatever, if, as long as you're making your own schedule, that is a huge gift to yourself and to your family. If you can be flexible, that's like 
that's it. That's, that's the, that's, that's so money. Yes. That's so money. I totally agree. Yeah. Before we go, let's do some quick, so money fill in the blanks. All right. You came prepared. I know because you, uh, just had great answers and you even gave me some, some background. So I feel smart pretending like I know so much about you and really you just are feeding me some great details. Well, I'll let you fill in these blanks. If I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is yeah, this is an easy one. My answer is probably the same as everyone else's. I would pay off all of my debt right away, all of my student loans, and I would probably invest in, um, in, in some, you know, some decent real estate, nothing too crazy. And then the third thing I would do is hire a really good financial advisor. So I didn't end up being one of those people who ended up bankrupt after winning the lottery. You know, how that yes. happened is beyond me, but it apparently happens a lot. So, <laughs> oh, more often. More often than it doesn't. All right. One thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? Yeah. So this is a great question for anyone who's thinking about starting their own business. The very first lesson that I learned when I got up and running was that my time was more valuable than my money. And um, especially when you're working for yourself, because you know if you're bringing in, you're the one who's bringing in business. So you're the one who's generating everything. So one of the things that I do, uh, it, I, I try to delegate as much as I can or outsource as much as I can. Um, it just doesn't make a lot of sense for me to be spending time doing something that I could pay someone much, much less to do uh, when I could be out sort of educating my community, speaking to people who might be potential clients. So it sounds on the one hand, I, I feel like some lawyers feel like they have to um, they have to do everything. They've got to pick up the phone and they've got to like be everything in the office. But I think in some ways you're doing your clients a disservice when, when you when you do it like that. I mean, I don't think any one of us would want our doctor picking up the phone, scheduling appointments. You want your doctor practicing medicine and nothing else. And I think it's similar with lawyers. So although it, it costs a little bit more sometimes to outsource things. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Um, although some people will say, I love that I can just like pick up the phone and call my you know lawyer. But, you know, that's if they're like a really small practice and maybe you're their only client. <laughs> <laughs> and it depends, too, on the kind of law. I would say it depends on the kind of law as well. So, you know, for example, if you're going through a divorce or something and they're, you know, you're really hands on with, you know, with your lawyer, that, right. that's a little bit of a different scenario. But I see what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Depends on the, the type of relationship. Okay. One thing I spend on that is my guilty pleasure is? I spend a lot of money going to the ballet here in New York City. Um, I love the New York City Ballet and American Ballet Theater as well. They're both at Lincoln Center. And that's definitely my guilty pleasure. I could go every day if I, if I could afford it, I would. Um, it's just one of, the, one of the things that I love doing. And um, I spend a lot of money on it, probably more than I should. But it's, it's definitely a guilty pleasure. One thing I wish I had known about money growing up is? One thing I wish I had had a better understanding of is that there's there might be ebbs and flows in your financial situation, and that's okay. So I used to just think, you know, this year my net worth is, is XYZ, and next year it should go up, and it should just continue going up, and it'll just be like a straight line. And, um, you know, that ended up not happening for me because I did go back to law school a little bit later in life. You know, now I've got more loans than I had before. But I've learned from starting my own business that, uh, you know, it, it's okay if there are times where you're investing a little bit more in a business or in education, that you know that there's going to be a financial, a great financial payoff, hopefully down the road. And it's okay that everything's not happening on a straight line, as long as you're making making smart decisions. 
Um, you know, any businessman or woman is going to know that there's they're going to have debt. There's going to be investments. Hopefully, not a lot of debt, but you know, you have to you have to incur a little bit of debt in order to get things up and running, and then hopefully it'll it'll pay off down down the road. Um, but I think I, I wish that I had known that it's okay that things don't always move on a straight line. Right. Giving yourself permission to take risks sometimes, you know, sometimes you have to take two steps backward to take four steps forward because you got to pare down, you got to pay off debt, you have to do things to be able to, you know, get to the next level. And, and that's great. I and mean, we never learn that. It's always like more is more. Don't yeah. be in debt. Yeah, but taking two steps back to go forward for that's a really good analogy. That's exactly what I was trying to say. Yeah, I mean, you take the law student loans out, but now you got your own business. So right. that's, you know, obviously a, a direct payoff. Okay, and last but not least, I'm Laura Cowan. I'm so money because... You know, I think I'm so money because I recognize the value of money and its importance in living a comfortable life and being able to provide for yourself and your family. But I also try to maintain a little bit of balance and have perspective. You know, penny pinching doesn't always make sense. It actually sometimes can, it can backfire, like what I was saying earlier in terms of um, doing everything yourself doesn't always make a lot of sense. Sometimes it's better if you delegate that downwards or outsource something. So I, I like to think that I've got a good perspective and a good balance of, you know, money matters. You want to be smart about it, but you also don't want to be so. Um, kind of stringent or, or stressed about it, that you're not living your life as well. And I think if you have some sense of control over, I know where my money is going and I know what I'm doing with it, that can help alleviate, alleviate a lot of the stress. Just understanding your finances. Don't be a tightwad. Yes. <laughs> That's what I got out of that. Don't be a tightwad. Exactly. And you might be doing yourself a disservice. Like I actually just read an article recently about a woman who you know, she, she like made all of her own food or something along those lines. She was just spending hours and hours, you know, making, making food in her kitchen because she was trying to save money. And then her boyfriend encouraged her to figure out, well, what could you be doing with that time instead? And it turned out that she was actually um, making herself um, almost poorer by making her own food because she wasn't using that time to do something that would actually bring in revenue. So that's kind of my point. Exactly. Well, Laura Cowan, thank you so much. And by the way, everybody, I teased us in the intro, but if you want to download Laura's free book offer, go to momdadfreebook.com. The book is called, it's an ebook and it's called Wear Clean Underwear, <laughs> a fast, friendly and essential guide to a to estate planning for busy parents. Thanks for offering that. And um, thank you for coming on the show. Good luck with the business. Good luck with the student loans. Hope you get to go to the ballet every year mm -hmm. for years to come. And congrats on everything. Congrats on the success. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks so much to Laura for stopping by. The book, the free ebook, Wear Clean Underwear can be found at momdadfreebook.com. And if you'd like to learn more about Laura, her website is lauraecowanlaw.com. All this info is back at somoneypodcast.com. If you haven't joined our newsletter, what's keeping you? It's free. It's fun. It keeps you up to date. You never miss a podcast. And you get to also get a free ebook that includes a compilation of really great interviews on this show. That's somoneypodcast.com. And while you're there, you can download the audio as well as the free transcript to this episode and every single other episode. And you can also click on Ask Farnoosh, send me your questions for the Friday episodes, and let me know there if you'd like to co-host. 
Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And I hope your day is so money. Money.